0: To Luke chapter 19, uh, the passage has already been read in your hearing, and we are continuing our series during this month of focusing on reaching the world for Christ. Let's look at verse 10 of Luke chapter 19, and you can repeat this with me. For the Son of Man, oh I heard a few of you, for the Son of Man man has come come to seek seek and to save save that which was lost. lost. Father, we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. 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 Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. I am a lover of history. And someone has said, the only thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. We have a way of repeating the same mistakes. But during the Second World War, European cities were under constant air raid attack by the German fighter planes. One night in a small town in Europe, they came under attack and the bombing was sustained throughout the night. While the citizens were able to avoid major casualties by hiding in bunkers underground, they discovered at the first of dawn, when the bombing had ceased, that most of what they called home had been destroyed by the the fighter planes. The thing that struck them most forcefully was that in the middle of that small city, prior to the bombing, stood a statue of Jesus. And that too, to their dismay, had been destroyed. The citizens of that city decided that they would unify and rebuild their city, the one that they loved. And as they began to rebuild what had been destroyed by the fighter planes, someone discovered pieces of the statue of Jesus. They felt that that was an inspiration from God. And so they committed to giving a specific effort to finding the remaining pieces of the statue of Jesus. And to their amazement and surprise they found every part of that statue except for the hands of Jesus. And so they doubled down on their efforts to locate these hands so that the statue could be completed and placed back in the center of the city as a representation of the presence of God, as the focal point of all that they did. And try as they may, all of their effort, efforts were unsuccessful to locate the hands of Jesus. And so they decided in the place of the hands of Jesus was to take a bronze plaque and inscript the following words: "I have no hands but yours." And so in the place of where Jesus' hands had been is now a bronze inscription that says, I have no hands but yours. Brothers and sisters, you and I are the body of Christ and the work that the Lord has left for us to do in the world will only be accomplished by the hands that he has given to us. You can pray for a job, but Paul says, as an example of the effort that is involved, yes, it is 100% God, but it is also 100% you, because Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live in the life that I now live I live by the faith in the one who loved me and died so Christ is I died with Jesus but I'm still alive I must work out my own soul salvation I'm not letting go and letting God I'm holding on to God as God is working in and through me you and I are the hands and the feet You and I are the body of Christ. Before Jesus returned to heaven, some of you are going to be very surprised that he left an undeniable statement and blueprint for what matters to him most in the world. And you would think, by what many of our churches are doing, that Jesus did not leave a GPS for us to find our way into the center of his will regarding to his purposes for which he has left us in the world. And here they are, this is it. I used to keep a placard behind the pulpit, the KISS theory. That means keep it simple, stupid. And the Lord knew that he wasn't dealing with no geniuses when he left us his, his plan for the world. The first part of his plan is found in verse 10. The reason Jesus left heaven was not to come to earth for vacation. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The primary reason that Jesus left heaven Heaven's glory to become poor that we might be rich spiritually was that He was on a mission to find the souls of those who had strayed from God since the fall of Adam back in Genesis 3. And here's the second part of the mission for which Jesus clearly has made his, his, his directives known for us, and that is in, in, in the, the, the responsibility. So the reason Jesus left was to seek and to save, and he left us with the responsibility. So he called the 10 of his servants, verse 11, delivered to them 10 Mayanists, and said to them, do business till I come. I want you to underline those five words. The Lord says, do business until I come. His reason was to seek and to save. Our reason for being here, he didn't take us to heaven after you got saved because the business that Jesus said he came to do is not finished. Somebody say amen. Amen. The Lord commanded his followers to do his business until he returns. Before you can truly become all that God intends, we must understand that the first century New Testament church lived and died for the business they believe that Jesus left them on earth to do. And the business that Jesus left the church on on this earth to do is to finish reaching the lost. Jesus said, greater works than these will you do. Oh, miracles and signs. Yeah, miracles and signs. The greatest miracle and sign that the Lord is doing today through his church is saving people out of the grasp of Satan and rescuing them and placing them in the ark of safety. That's the greater work. Through the church, more souls are being saved during our outreach to the world than they were during the life and time of Jesus' earthly ministry. Now, I want you to understand, as we look at this passage of Scripture... And it's interesting as I was going through, I never know where this where passage is going to take me. I have no, I just follow where God is leading. I exegete the text, and then I hope it's a sermon. <laughs> but it's interesting to me that most of what Jesus did, he didn't do a bunch of preaching. Every time you heard Jesus after he did a miracle and he taught them, we say, hey, ain't he preaching, hooping, oh God. We need to go. No, no, no. Jesus taught them. We don't lack for preaching. God says, my people are perishing for the lack of knowledge. He said, I will instruct you and guide you in the way that we will go. We need instruction. And so today, if you would allow me, I'm going to give you some instruction. Here are four words that I want you to, uh, to, to hang, on, hang your hats on regarding the business. Say, do his business. Do the Lord's business. That is your job. That is what you ultimately are going to after answer to God for. Are you doing his business? What is his business? We're going to find out even more clearly, as I've already stated. Four words. Say parable. parable. Then say provisions. provisions. Oh, some of you said provisions. provisions. Then say plan. plan. and Finally, we're going to look at the word payment. Payment. Now, we find in verses 11 through 27, I'm not going to read the parable again, it was read to us very eloquently by our own Deacon Miller, and I invite you to go back and read the story of the parable. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an illustration, Jesus was a master storyteller, a master illustrator, but he wasn't telling the story to appeal to one's emotions. He was telling the story to impact us for eternity, to change us through the illustration, through the life-changing word of God. That's what Jesus did. Now notice in the parable in verses 11 through 27 that there was confusion 2,000 years ago, and there's confusion today. Look, Look at verse 11. The word of God says, now as they heard these things, he spoke Another parable. They needed a story because they weren't getting it. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, so they were confused. And the they is not the folks outside of the ark of safety, or we would say the church. That they were his disciples. They were clueless. They were expecting. This is the time where we will finally get our entourage. This is our day in Hollywood where we will be able to, what do they call it that they get to walk the red uh, You know about that. The red carpet. This is our crown. This we're going to get our cars. We're going to get our Rolexes. The Lord is finally going to give us what we have sacrificed for three and a half years. We will all have our individual thrones. The kingdom is about to come. They were confused. I want you to understand that we're still confused. And that prosperity gospel is not new. It was happening in the time of Jesus' ministry. They were expecting material blessings. They were not looking for an eternal kingdom that the Lord was saying he was ushering in. They were confused. They heard these things. They thought one thing. How many of you know that the natural man, when you think in your flesh, when you depend on your human reasoning, you will never comprehend the things of God. Amen. You'll never think about going to Kenya. You've got a million and one reasons why you can't. As a young lady shared, she has a college degree, and the last thing that you would ever want your child to do, as you didn't spend all that money for them to get their degree to go to medical school or become an attorney or whatever, now they're talking about full-time missions. At college campus, sister, will you really do this to me? The natural man, the natural mind, the carnal mind does not receive the things that come from the Spirit of God. Now, this parable reveals four separate phases of the mission or the vision that God placed Jesus on the world to accomplish. Four phases. Say four phases. And I want to share how the parable remarkably parallels every aspect of Jesus's earthly ministry. And the interesting thing about it is that what you're going to see, the parallels, is that the king that Jesus is talking about in the parable is none other than himself. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and his kingdom, and to return. The king came into the world. That's the first part, the first phase of Jesus' ministry to accomplish what he said in verse 10 I have come to seek and to save. If you had been the only one, the God who loved the world so much would have sent. So the first phase of Jesus' ministry was the incarnation. The Bible says that the word became flesh, and he dwelled among us, and we beheld his glory as the only mogoganes, the only unique son of God. There's nobody like Jesus. I like the way the Lord says it in Galatians chapter four, verses four through five. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sends forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, for what purpose? To redeem, to buy us out of the marketplace of sin. Those who were under the law, the curse of the law, the demands of the law, the consequences of the law, the judgment of the law, so that we might be, receive adoption as sons. The word became flesh. God in human form. So the first phase of the ministry of Christ to reach you and to reach me, because all of us have fallen short of the perfect requirement of God. God is holy; we are not. We needed a savior. We couldn't be saved by bulls and rams, and pre- we needed Jesus. And so He came in human form. That's phase one. Phase two: the King would pay. For our sins with his very life, with his very life. In verse 14 of Luke chapter 19 in the parable says, but his citizens hated him, and they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not make, we will not have this man reign over us. I like the way John says the parallel is this, that Jesus would come, first faith, second faith, that he would die for our sins, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin, God's requirement for forgiveness of sin, somebody has to die. But the sacrifice had to be without blemish, without spot. It had to be perfect. We have a high priest who has been tempted. Jesus was tempted like as we are yet without sin. And so this is the perfect Sacrifice. The Bible says he was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. He came to die, y'all. He came to die. They couldn't take his life, but he voluntarily laid it down for you and me. Aren't you glad about that? In Isaiah chapter 53, 800 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet gave this prophecy. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our grief and carried our. Jesus is our substitutionary atonement. It should have been you. It should have been me on that cross. But he took my place. The Bible says that he that knew no sin became sin for me, that God might deposit in my spiritually bankrupt account his righteousness so God looks at you and me through the blood of Jesus just as if we've never sinned. Phase two, he had to die. He had to die. He voluntarily gave his life for me. The chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. Oh, I got healed. You know, the greatest sickness that, is, that has befallen mankind, the most incurable disease, ain't AIDS, ain't cancer, ain't pain. Pancre- it's, it's called sin. By his stripes, my disease, a sin that separated me from God, has now been cured. Somebody ought to say, thank you, Jesus. Somebody ought to say, praise you, Lord. Phase one, he came, the incarnation. Phase two, the crucifixion. Phase three, the Bible says, The the third part of Jesus' ministry was that he would return to heaven to prepare a place. That's called the ascension. The disciples were gazing into heaven after he had taught them for 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain of Olives after the resurrection. And before their very eyes, Jesus ascended into heaven. And the angel said, why are you staring? Why are you trolling? What's wrong with you? This same Jesus in the way that you see him going up. He's coming back again. But when he went up, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Aren't you glad about it? That where I am, how I many of you know there's plenty good room? There's enough room for all of us. There's still room at the cross. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you will be there also. And I come. I will come again. And so the third phase is that he was going to ascend. After he died, he rose on the third day, and he ascended into heaven. And that's where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is advocating for us as our priests. He's praying for you right now. Somebody say, I'm glad about it, because I sure didn't pray today. But guess what? Jesus, somebody is praying for you. Phase four of the ministry is that Christ will return with his church, and for his church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter... Four verses thirteen through eighteen, and the Bible says the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ will be resurrected, and we will be caught up to meet Him in the air. That's the first part of the second return of Jesus. He's coming in two separate phases. He's going to snatch the church up. Those who are dead will be caught up to meet Him. Those who are and those who are alive and remain will follow. And it's going to happen so fast. I saw Brandon taking some pictures, but this ain't going to be. This going to go so fast. There's not a camera that's going to catch this, because it's going to occur in a twinkling, in a twinkling. Before you can bat an eye, the church will be caught up to meet him. Revelation chapter 14 talks about Jesus mounts a white horse, and he brings back with him the church that he's resurrected through the rapture. He's going to bring us back. So the fourth phase is that Jesus is coming back for his church, with his church, to establish his kingdom on the world. I used to hear people say, but they can't crown him until I get there. I never understood that. They can't crown him until I get there. <laughs> okay, I get it now. It's in Revelation chapter 14. That he's going to be acknowledged as king of kings and lord of lords when the church is present with him in heaven. Four phases. Now, watch this. Here's the point of all of that. Many things were done by Jesus to accomplish those four things, to come, to die, to, return, to, to go to heaven and prepare, and then to come back. There were a lot of things that he did. Somebody say, yes he did. yes, he did. He healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, calmed the sea, fed the hungry, and gave sight to the blind. He is the prince of peace. He's the counselor of all counselors. He's my bomb in Gilead. He heard me when I cried. Amen. He made a way out of it. You know, that's what he did. He did all those things. Didn't he do all those things? Has he done any of that for you? Many things that were done to accomplish those four things equal one purpose. Everything that Jesus ever did was for one purpose. I have come to seek and to save those which are lost. Listen to what the scripture says. Oh, I love this. But these are written to you that you may believe. Uh, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, John chapter 20, verse 30. But these things were written that you may believe, that you may get saved, that believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. It was all about you getting saved. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he prepared a place. That's why he's coming back. It was all about saving souls. That's the purpose of the church. That's our responsibility. We got Tom Thumb weddings. Ain't it good? I had got my praise on it. Wasn't the choir good in the praise and worship? Oh, you heard the pastor when he lifted his leg. Ah! And then he ran his head back and, yeah, we got, we got, we got cooked chicken dinners, steak dinners, and chitlin dinners, and we got Tom Thumb weddings. We got, we got woman day, dog day, cat day, everybody day. But it ain't about any of that. It's about Jesus. It's about salvation. The church is off course lost our way that's why you can have a church on every corner and prostitutes and drug addicts and murders rampant a, a city like Delaware the highest murder rate and how can that be with all the churches we've lost our way it's about souls we don't need more money yes that would be nice we don't need a better car more we need Jesus When Mr. King had his his infected leg examined by Dr. Sanchez, a native of Tampa Bay, Florida, he agreed that amputation was his only and best option. So he signed off to have his leg removed. It was infected, and without getting it removed, he was going to die because the poison was spreading through his body. He prayed, he went under anesthesia, the surgery lasted much longer than he thought. It had been more difficult than he could ever imagine, but he woke up in the recovery room with a smile. But he was troubled when he looked around, he saw the nurses kind of not smiling with him as the nurses would normally kind of kid with you once you come out of anesthesia and getting ready to go see your room. And they didn't say anything, and then he started saying, well, the surgery was successful, they he started to feel for that right leg that had been amputated, it was still there. The doctor cut off the wrong leg. You know how they mark the leg, and they teach you to, you know, this is your name, this is where you they, they they removed the wrong leg. Of course, the doctor was sued, and now he had to get the, the right leg cut off in order for him not to die. The church is like the doctor. We know that there's sickness all around us. We see the crime. We see the marriages breaking up. We see wayward teenagers. We see hopelessness. We see depression. We see suicide. But instead of operating with the tools called the gospel that the Lord has given us, we're cutting on the wrong leg. The purpose for the church, the purpose for your coming is to learn about this man who saved you so that you can tell everybody else that he's still saved. Yeah. Let's talk about the provision. Is that all right? The provisions we need to do this business have been given. The parable says, so he called the ten. He called ten of his servants, say his servants, delivered to them ten myas. He delivered to them three months' wages. That's what a myas was, three months' worth of wages. Now notice, how do you qualify to receive the provisions? He called his servants. In order to be a servant of the Lord, it's not about joining a church. you got to be a part of his church. The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them, he's got a lot of folk in church, but don't know Jesus. A lot of folk doing ministry in church, but the Lord said, many shall say in that day, have I not? And they're going to say, I cast out, I sung, I preached. He said, but depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Here's the reason. I never knew you. But as many receive them, to them he gives the right to become the son of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Don't matter if you were birthed in the church. My mama, she went into contractions right on the pew, and the pastor and the elders, they just helped her to come. I know I'm to know you not. You need to receive to Jesus for yourself. Somebody say okay, amen. So you ain't going to have the provisions to do the business unless you're in the business through salvation. Now, notice who provided the vision or the provision. It was he who chose his servants. He delivered to them, the Bible says. The Bible says, I can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens me and my God shall what? Supply all everything that you need to do his business. I shall supply all. We always think about money. I'm going to get me a house. I'm going to get me some nice shoes by finally. No, no, no. He's talking about the ability to serve even the food we eat and the place we live. It's only a a, a part of the ministry to give us an opportunity to do the work. Somebody say amen. Amen. The provisions come from him. So he said, what kind of provisions do I have? I ain't going to no cemetery or cemetery. I ain't going to no Bible college. I ain't no preacher or pastor. It did say, um, how can they hear except the preacher. Preach, that word doesn't mean preacher, pastor. It means proclaimer. Here, here, here are our provisions. You ready? Here they are. First, we have the gospel itself. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God because it is the dunamis it is the omnipotence of God. The, the, the power of God is in the gospel. Every time we share it, everything that is true about God's all-powerfulness is released through the message of the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 16 says, It says that the preaching of the cross is to them who are perishing. It's crazy. It don't make no sense. It's foolishness. But unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. We have the gospel. When you share it, there's power being released. That's how people get saved. I spent about two hours trying to impress somebody with what I learned in seminary. He was at we were at SMU. I'm in Texas, and I, this guy's a. College student at one of the renowned colleges. So I figured I got to impress him. And he's sitting and looking at me, I got ten heads. I didn't talk about eschatology, satanology, angelology, and Christology. And then the guy who I was in the, in the car we said, we got to go. Two minutes. I said, oh, man, this guy is still looking starry-eyed. I must have really, really impressed. But look, I only got two minutes. I shared Jesus, the simple truth of the gospel, in two minutes, he got saved. He said, that's what you've been trying to tell me for the last two hours? This thing ain't complicated. We also have the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter... Six, it says put on the whole armor of God for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and power, spiritual wickedness and rulers of high places. We need the whole armor of God. He says after you've done all the stand when you get finished fighting it and taking it on the chin and and feel like you're going down for the last time you want to give it. He said, guess what you should do? When you feel like giving it, he says keep on standing. Put on the whole you have the armor of God. What is the armor of God? He said the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, not carnal but they are mighty to the pulling down. You've got God armor you also have authority and power i know the preacher does he can lay hands and people can say no 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 jesus said to all of them behold i give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over the power i give you power of your enemies and nothing by any means shall harm you you have power and authority Every Christian has power over the spirit realm. You can pray over somebody who's demon-possessed, demon-vexed, demon-frustrated, demon demon tormented. You can pray over your own tormented self and find deliverance. You can pray for people to get healed, and they'll get healed according to the will of God. You can pray over your physical needs and other, other... You have that authority and power. But the provision for winning souls, the most important secret weapon that we all have that activates your authority, that activates the gospel, that activates the armor, is called prayer. Yes. Anything of significance that has eternal value, it will not be accomplished without prayer. I was talking to one of the younger brothers uh, on Friday. We had breakfast, and uh, I mean, he just, just made my hair curl. That's why it's like it is now. And he, we were talking about the state of the church. And he said, I said, Well, what do you think is wrong with the church? He said, Well, without, there's no power in the church. I said, Well, why do you think so? He says, God doesn't do anything significant without prayer. I said, Amen to that. The Bible said, We should pray without ceasing. Without prayer, God said, We will, we will faint. Much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. And so, it, 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 in order to activate the, the provisions of God, you need to saturate them in prayer. Yeah. My, favorite car, my favorite superhero is Superman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> faster than what? Mm, no, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap, asleep, a, a, leap a building with a single pound, right? You remember that, Superman? Some of you too young for that. I'm almost done. The problem with Superman, he had one weakness, and it wasn't Lois Lane. It was kryptonite. If he was exposed, no matter what, all the authority, all the power, all the armor, all he knew, good news, bad news, all of that was rendered useless if he was exposed to kryptonite. I want you to know that what, what the Christian's kryptonite is that will render you totally ineffective in your marriage, at your job, you won't be light, you won't be soft, you won't have any impact. The kryptonite to the Christian life is the lack of prayer. It will shut you down. And so the provisions are given to us by the Lord, the master, the servant. He's given us the provisions to be effective. Will you activate them through prayer? Somebody say amen. We're almost done. Amen. The parable illustrates his one purpose. I came to seek and to save the lost. The provisions come from him. Now, here's his plan. Somebody said, what's, what's the plan? He commanded them to take his provisions. And what did he say? Take the money and do what? What does it say in the passage? In the Bible, verse 11. <laughs> he said, verse 12, do what? Look at the Bible. What does it say? Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, we're a Bible-believing church. <laughs> and he said, look at verse 13. So he called the 10 and the servants. He delivered to them the 10 Mayans. And he said to them, do what? Do, business? do my business. Do my work. Say with me. Now, here's the plan. Notice that he didn't give a different plan to the 10 servants. He gave one plan to all of the servants. All received the same provisions in order. They got the provisions that they needed to do what was expected of them. God doesn't expect you to do what he called me to do. Amen. What you're gifted to do, you are. what is for you is for you, and what's for me is for me. Amen? Amen. So you don't have to be hating on me. I will not be had to hating on you. <laughs> Amen? Come on now. We're almost done. All understood the assignment. Now, here's the plan. Matthew 28. See? right in the Here's the plan. Go, therefore, make disciples of who all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the age. That is the plan. Everybody's got the same plan. Every church should be going. We're not keepers of the aquarium. We've been called to be fishers of men. Oh, I almost led somebody to Jesus. Then I woke up and I realized I was dreaming. Yeah, man, I almost said, Do you want to know Jesus? But I said, Come to church. Yeah, they can come to church, but they may not make it to church. But you can tell them, I know a man. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Come meet a man. Yeah. All right, and here we go. We're almost done. How many of you ever read the story of the three little pigs? Come on now, come on. Oh, Lord. The young folk are being deprived <laughs> oh, my! one of my favorite fairy, fairy tales. You remember the story of the 3 little pigs? All three built houses. One had a house built of straw, the other stick, and the third pig, brick. And the mean, bad wolf said, I'm going to huff and pluff and bro your house down. And the three pigs said, no, you can't, no, you can't. And guess what he was able to do? The sticks blown down. The straw blown down. But when he came to the brick house, he, he huffed and he puffed, but he couldn't blow the house down. I want you to understand, the Bible says that there's only one way to God, and that's Christ. He only has one plan for the world, that the man be saved and be developed as disciples. What happens is when the church gets off its mission, it's like the three little pigs. We got straw houses, we got stick houses. But when the devil comes against those kind of ministries, they're like building a house on sinking sand. It's not going to stand. The church to Jesus, I will build my, my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What church will they, the devil not prevail against? It's the church that is built on the plan of Jesus to save those who don't know him. I wonder if you're building your plan on sticks or straw or on the solid foundation of the command. Go! Disciple, the devil can't blow that house down. He can huff, he can puff, he can threaten. All you know, the church is outdated. People ain't gonna ever come. Jesus said, "My church, all the gates of hell will not overpower the church if we stick with the plan." Here's the final thing. Somebody say, "Yep." Here's the final thing. The payment. Say payment for doing the Lord's business. Then there are two types of workers in this parable. There are the faithful who obey the command to do the Lord's business. And then there are the unfaithful who are disobedient and they bury the Lord. They do not do the Lord's business. My question to you, which kind, what kind of worker are you? Are you about the purpose of Jesus, of sharing the gospel to the world? Or are you on the other side where you decide, I ain't telling nobody. They can come to my church and hear my pastor. We pay our pastor to tell. Now, the unfaithful and disobedient workers are those that fail to obey the Lord's business. Do the Lord's business. Now, watch why they are called unfaithful. Here's why they don't do it. He says, Lord, I got a good reason. I knew what kind of master you are, so I took the gifts that you gave me. I took the assignment that you gave me and I hid it under a napkin, under my napkin. You know why? That that describes they are selfish. They keep what God has given to them and done for them to themselves. That's selfish. If you've been blessed by God, you here today? Are you breathing? Amen. Is your heart beating right now? Do you have food at home? Aren't you clothed? In your, some of you, in your right mind, or most of your right mind. If you don't give praise to the Lord and say the Lord has been good and His mercies, it's not because I deserved it. He did it because of who He is. Guess what? You're being selfish. They are stagnant, stagnated by fear. He said, I feared you. So many Christians aren't going to share their faith because you're afraid. That somebody gonna not like you. If I share my faith, i ain't gonna have nobody eat lunch with. If I share my faith, they're gonna think I'm a fanatic. If I don't, if they see me praying while over my food, they're gonna think I'm really serious about the Bible. Maybe I wanna be inclusive. I don't want anybody thinking, yeah, but guess what? The the gospel is very exclusive. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to God. I'm trying to get to New Jersey. I don't want to be landing in Dallas At Dallas of all places. There's one, you know, if i want to land feel it, it's a narrow, narrow navigation there. One way. They are, they are stagnated by their fear. They're also spiritually ignorant of the character of God. God said, I knew that you were harsh. You're difficult. You sow where you don't reap. You reap where you don't sow. You know, if you know the heart of God... You understand that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. Uh, that's the heart of God. In the Bible, two times he cried, it was always over souls. It breaks the heart of God to see people lost. It's a sign of spiritual ignorance. When you say, You know God, you really do, but you don't have you don't have his ways, you don't have his heart. You don't care about people to die. You get more upset if your car gets scratched than somebody busts hell wide open. You don't know God. I'm not saying you're unsaved, you're ignorant of the truth of what God is like. And then not only are they selfish, stagnant, spiritually ignorant, he says, You wicked servant, they're sinful. It's a sin not to share. We should tell our kids share. Don't be stingy. It's a sin to know Jesus and to know that somebody doesn't and you don't share. A sin. Well, I ain't committed to talk to it, and hey, robbed the bank. He, said, should will be out the ministry. Guess what? We don't call failing to witness sin. It's sin. He said, "You wicked servant." The blood of sinners is going, going to be on our hands. I'm done. I'm done. I'm sorry. I said, okay. There are two payments. Some receive rewards and some will lose their rewards. The Bible says each one of us will stand before God. Every man's works will be tried according to what sort it is. If it's wood, stubble, hay or precious stone, silver, or gold. He said, some will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet by the fire. We're going to stand before the Lord, and everything that we've done for the Lord regarding the purpose for which he planted us on this planet for, he's going to be turned inside out. And he said, if we haven't done what we were told to do, he says, your works will be burned. You will suffer loss. There's going to be a payment. Not for what I do, but for what we, each one of us will stand before Almighty God. Yes. To answer the question, did we fulfill the purpose? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He gave us the provisions to accomplish that. Not only did he give us the provisions to accomplish that, but he gave us the plan, go into all the world and make disciples of men. And he says, and I will reward you. There's a payment for being obedient. Yes. There's a woman, prominent Christian's speaker, conference speaker, traveled the world sharing the good news of Christ. Would you stand with me? She was so effective. She was an author, prolific writer. She was sharing on focus on the family that she became very, very afraid because she kept experiencing hoarseness. And every time she tried to speak, she would lose her voice. And so the doctor said to her, I want you to keep silent for two weeks. And she said, what about my boys and my husband? How are they going to make it if I can't? And the doctor said, they'll be just fine. If mommy can't talk. For t- now, let's move on. Two weeks pass, she goes back to the doctor, she's in tears. Two weeks pass, she still can't speak. He says, you're going to need to be quiet, totally silent for three months. She's losing it now. What about my ministry? What about my conferences? What about all the women that I've been discipling? What about keeping my house organized and being the woman of great pride? How am I going to do all of that? I can't. She's just, she's just really, really trying to figure out why would God allow this to happen. You gave me the gift, and now you, you just totally shut down my voice. And as she is praying and agonizing over this experience, God said to her, become the message. Don't speak it, be it. With your quiet and your gentle spirit, be the message. So you may say, I ain't no preacher, I ain't no deacon, that you don't have to be. Just be the message. How can you be the message that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ? Be a godly wife, be a godly mother, be a godly Christian, be a godly friend. Support some of these children that are going to the mission field. Go before the Lord in prayer. Pray for your enemies. Love them, that's how you become the message. Bless those who, I'm talking about, second mile Christians becoming the message. And when you become the message, you are accomplishing the Lord's business. And one day he will say, well done. Well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many.